All right, Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles this morning. We're working our way uh, piece by piece through the armor of God. And we're, um, we're, we're learning how to apply this to our life. Last week we looked closely at the belt of truth, uh, protecting our loins with truth, as it says in Ephesians 6, verse 14. This week we're going to focus on the second piece of the armor of God and talk about how to put this on each and every day of our Christian lives. Once you found Ephesians 6 and verse 10, if you would, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, Ephesians 6, and we'll be reading from 10 down through 14. It's good to see the church house filling back up again. The last few weeks, uh, the attendance has been uh, great, and we're thankful for that. I'll begin in verse 10, and I'll read the even-numbered verses uh, uh, by myself. We'll read the uh, odd-numbered verses together. The Bible says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Verse 11 together, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let's read 14 together as well. Ready? Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, we're going to look this morning again at the armor of God, and we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Let's pray together. Lord, help us as we look at uh, this topical truth of guarding our hearts with truth and righteousness. Lord, help us to uh, identify areas where sin has found its way into our heart. And Lord, help us to deal with it, help us to understand it, help us to be better for what we've heard today. Lord, help us to have an open heart to making the changes that would please you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, on your screen there before you, you see uh, an, old, uh, an old piece of armor that's made out of metal. That is a breastplate. The modern-day concept of this would be, uh, let's see, uh, what do you wear? Bulletproof vest, right? And uh, the, bu- the bulletproof vest would be uh, the equivalent today. And what does the breastplate do? Well, in times of war, soldiers are trained to shoot at two areas. They're called kill shots. There's the head and there's the heart. Those are the two areas that you go to if you want uh, to kill someone. If you want to protect yourself in times of war, you would be wise to protect your head and your heart. God has commanded us to put on the armor of God, and He ascribes a different Christian characteristic to different parts of the spiritual armor. Uh, What does God say we are to use to protect our heart? What is it that we're to use to protect our, uh, our, our, our spiritual heart from evil and attacks? Well, we're to cover our hearts with righteousness. If we leave our chest unprotected, our spiritual chest unprotected, Satan, uh, and Satan takes a shot at our heart, then we are sure to be a casualty for Christ. And I don't mean a martyr. I mean someone who was a has-been Christian or a used-to-be 
Christian, someone who once walked with God and no longer walks with God, someone who used to go to church and no longer goes to church, someone who used to read their Bible and pray but no longer reads their Bible and pray, someone uh, who, who used to live a righteous lifestyle and used to try their best to please God with their life and someone who's now backslidden and living a life that's carnal. If we don't protect our heart with righteousness, Satan is sure to slip in sin and iniquity and get us to uh, live a life that displeases the Lord. Uh, let's talk about, we talked about the idea of a breastplate. Let's talk about the concept of righteousness this morning. Last week we saw that we're to gird about our loins with truth, but what about our heart? God tells the Christian that they are, there, that they are to protect their heart with righteousness. Righteousness. That is a big word that can be missed, uh, that can be missed on uh, or misunderstood rather by many of us. What does it mean to have righteousness? What does it mean to be righteous? Uh, well, this means to have right standing with God. Right standing with God. Um, let me give you some examples that will maybe help you understand this idea. Uh, do you know what it's like to be on good terms with your boss at work? Some of you don't know what that's like very much, do you? Your boss is always upset with you over something, right? Uh, maybe you've got a boss that's hard to please, right? Um, the staff is nodding their head up and down, right? A boss is hard to please. Uh, it's great when you feel that you can go to work and your boss likes you and you like your boss and you're on good terms with your boss, Right? You're in right standing with your boss. Now, if you're showing up late to work, are you going to be in good standing with your boss? Not if you've got a good boss. If you're uh, uh, slacking at work and not getting the, or your projects done that's been placed in front of you, probably not going to be in good standing with your boss. Um, and there are other factors that go on there. But in a, in a normal work environment, you want to be on good terms with your boss. Another way to be on good terms with your boss is to be a good communicator. To be a good communicator. If you are not a good communicator and your boss is not a good communicator, it can be hard, it can be frustrating at work. Uh, we want to make sure that we're on good terms with our boss. How about being on good terms with your parents? And I'm speaking to everyone in the room that has parents that are alive today. Being on good terms with your parents. Today is Youth Emphasis Sunday. Some of you here, your little Brats that got up here and saying you thought, boy, they sure look cute. But I'm going to tell you, at home this morning, they were just trouble, trouble, trouble. I really know, we really know the reality, right? Um, listen, as a young man, I can remember getting in trouble with my parents at home. And um, I would, my mom would send me to my room. My dad was at work. And I'd have to sit in my room for sometimes two or three hours waiting for dad to get home. When I was real little, my mom would spank me, and I got to an age where her spankings didn't hurt anymore. Amen? And um, so um, I made the mistake of letting her know that her spankings didn't hurt. I should have just faked it, and I'd have been all good. Uh, but um, the day I laughed at her when she spanked me, it was the last day she spanked me, and then it was sit in your room for three hours and wait for your dad to get home. And dad would come home, and uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, laugh when dad spanked me. I, I never. <laughs> Uh, the last spanking I got, I was 16 or 17, and I cried then too. Um, he got me. Uh, so I'm not, not saying that was right, but that's just how it happened. Uh, listen, uh, being in good standing with your parents is important. I'm up here this morning preaching with a busted lip, and I would blame Angela, but she's in Peru. Amen? So I can't blame her. Um, I went to visit my mom last night. Talking about being in good standing with your parents, and my mom just welled up and just, no, that's not true either. Um, <laughs> 
I walked in the door, and well, a while back, my parents got a dog, and I don't like this dog, and this dog doesn't like me, and this is a big dog. He's an aggressive dog, and every time I go over there, her dog snarls at me and, and tries to intimidate me. And so um, I was over at her house a few weeks back for about three hours. The first two and a half hours, he growled at me and snarled at me and, and tried to make advances at me. Not Anyway, he was being mean to me, amen? Not those kind of advances. Where are your minds this morning, amen? And so this, the, uh, the, I walk in the door last night, and the dog runs at me to attack me, and I reach down to try to pet him, and he jumps up in the air, and his snout pops me in the, in the mouth, and my, my mouth just starts bleeding all over the floor. And I thought, i got to preach tomorrow. Everyone's going to think I got into a fight. Um, so um, being in good standing with your parents, I was not in good standing with my mom over her dog last night. Amen? Uh, but she, we were able to get that patched up. Some of you here, you may have uh, parents, and you may not be in good standing with them. And you think, well, maybe it's their fault, maybe it's your fault. Being in right standing with mom and dad sure makes life a whole lot better. How about this analogy, being in good standing with your spouse, being on good terms with your spouse. Um, uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talked about those who marry and those who don't, and he said it's better if you can to not get married because then your life is just a lot simpler. He said this at the end of 1 Corinthians 7. He said, if you get married, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. You know what that means? No matter how long you're married, you're going to have some tension. There's going to be some, you know, bickering and fighting and arguing and and getting on each other's nerves. How many of you in here have a perfect marriage? All right. Those of you that just raised your hand, you are liars. You are flat out lying. Amen? We all know what it's like to, it, all of those of us in here that are married, you know what it's like to have tension in marriage. And um, sometimes you come to church and. Um, you know, how come it is that if you're going to fight, it's usually on a Sunday morning on the way to church? You know what I mean? You're at each other's throats. You look great. You dress up nice. And you're fighting all the way to church. And, and uh, you pull in the church parking lot. And all of a sudden, you go from looking like you're going to kill each other to smiling. You get out of the church. And, you know, you put your Bible in your arm. And you walk in the front door of the church. Right? And uh, you, you want to kill each other in the back of your mind. You walk in the door and you see the pastor shake his hand. Pastor, this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And the wife's standing behind him thinking, you are such a hypocrite. And she's going to tell you about it all the way home, isn't she? Um, but uh, listen, um, being, in good, being on good terms with your spouse is a happy day. How about with God? What is it to be righteous? To be righteous is when you're on good terms with God. Christian, can I just say why I think many of us don't pray as much as we ought to? Because we're not on good terms with God. It's really hard to live a life of sin, habitual sin, and to walk in God's presence and say, all right, I'm here to talk to you. I'm here to fellowship with you. No, we feel guilty over what we've done, and we don't want to communicate with God. You see, and our hearts are left wide open to Satan his attacks because... We're not protecting our hearts with righteousness. I'm not here to say this morning that in order to wear the breastplate of righteousness, you have to be perfect. But what I am here to do, say to you this morning is that you need to make every effort every morning to get up and lay aside sin and put on righteousness and live a life that is righteous. 
one big difference with God and, and uh, these people is uh, that your boss or your parents or your spouse can't see your heart. But God can see your heart. And you can go to work and you can fake it. You can fake it for a little while even around your spouse. You can fake it with your kids or your parents. You can't fake it with God. He knows. He knows deep down inside who you are. He knows the very thoughts that you think. He knows every sin that you commit. If you don't wake up every morning and get your heart in tune and in harmony with God's heart, you have failed to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And you leave yourself vulnerable to Satan and his temptations throughout the day. It's so important... Uh, you hear, you'll hear me say, you'll hear other preachers say, read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. And you think, Pastor, how come you're always harping on read your Bible and pray? Can I tell you why? Because each morning, and I believe you ought to do it in the morning. Some people say, well, I'm more you know, um, uh, cognitive in the evening. That's great. If you want to do your hard Bible reading, your heavy Bible reading in the evening, that's great. I think every morning you ought to get up and have some sort of devotion with God every morning. Why? Because this is you getting your heart in line with the Father in heaven and getting your life in good standing, on good terms with the Father in heaven every day. It's you strapping on the breastplate of righteousness before you head out in the world and you face all of the temptations and and all of the struggles that Satan and your flesh are going to aim at you throughout the day. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.31, the end of the verse, he said, I die daily. I die daily. What does that mean? Does that mean that he uh, puts a gun to his head every day and shoots himself? Obviously not. What does that mean? That means that he takes the desires of his flesh and he he, he mortifies them. He puts them down. He, if you will, to use the base, base term, he murders them. Each and every morning, he sells, tells his flesh, you will not dictate to me how I will behave today. Listen, uh, if you're going to die daily, what you need to do every morning is face up, own up to the, the failures you made the day before and confess your sin to God. Keep short accounts with God. Get your heart in tune with the Lord and make sure that you're in right standing with God. Listen, if the Apostle Paul uh, needed to die daily, uh, then I probably need to stop and die hourly. Amen? I don't know where the Apostle Paul was in his Christian life. I need to stop every hour and say, Lord, I need to re-strap on the breastplate of righteousness. I need to protect my heart yet again. For much of my Christian life, I have been oblivious and unaware that Satan was after my heart. I made the mistake of taking life as it came. I would easily be influenced by culture and carnal people. My eyes were on the world, not on the Savior. And what would happen especially in my young, uh, adult, young Christian life, uh, teenage years, early adult years, I would let my environment dictate my behavior. Anybody relate this morning? Anybody relate? You want to go along to get along, right? And you're willing to maybe change your language up a little bit, even if it doesn't please the Lord, in order to fit in with your environment. You're willing to wear apparel that doesn't please the Lord and only in order to fit in, in, into your environment. You're willing to watch TV shows in the evening so that you have talking points at work the next day in order to fit into your environment, even though it doesn't please the Lord. I would make the mistake of when I was around godly people, I would desire with all my heart to do right and please God. But then when I was around godless people, my desires came to please them and gain their acceptance. 
God does not call us to be righteous on Sundays only. To the teenagers in the room, some of you go to a public school. Many of you go to a public school. Listen, I went to a Christian school growing up, and I had to face this in the Christian school. I'm not necessarily picking on the public school. No matter where you go to school, you're going to have to face this. The reality is that when you go to school on Monday, you're going to have kids that are going to try to get you to fit in with a culture and fit in with their sin and not do what's right. God does not call you just to strap on the breastplate of righteousness on Sundays when you're at church. He calls you to wear that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. By the way, God does not just call you to put on the breastplate of righteousness on Sundays at church. He wants you to wear that breastplate of righteousness when you're on social media. Oh my, many of us, we get tied into things on social media that doesn't please the Lord. we, We allow what we see on social media to dictate to us our own behavior. I've shared this before, but um, back when I was on Facebook many years ago, my wife and I had hit a low point in our marriage, and we were just, it was almost a month and a half of just being at each other every day. If you've been married long enough, you've probably had some sort of a a, a time like that. And I remember it was around Thanksgiving one year, and uh, my mom-in-law was staying with us, and we were making, uh, my mom-in-law and my wife were making all the Thanksgiving fixings, and and uh, we were, you know, we were just miserable in our marriage. And I was in the kitchen trying to do my part to help. And uh, my sister-in-law was there. And she said, smile, this is going on Facebook. And we both turned, got next to each other. The picture went up on Facebook. I got tagged. My wife got tagged. And then five minutes later, we were back to fighting with each other. Boy, in that picture, we looked so happy. Everything was perfect. But that did not portray reality. My friend, you're to wear the breastplate of righteousness when you go to work on Monday. You're to wear the breastplate of righteousness when you're, on, when you're all by yourself searching the Internet. You are to wear the breastplate of righteousness day in and day out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you're here today and you're saved, there's no question in heaven you have right standing with God when it comes to your eternity. But do you have right standing with God in the day-to-day life? Are you and God on good terms? Well, I'm not intentionally uh, being unkind this morning. I'm not trying to put my finger in your heart and point at something in your life, but it could be the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you this morning, there's this in your life that needs to go. Boy, we're not on good terms because of this in your life that needs to go as the Holy Spirit of God convicts. Boy, allow Him to help you make those changes. I propose that your quality of Christian living will greatly improve if you will learn to strap on tight the breastplate of righteousness. Just as a police officer puts on a bulletproof vest before he heads out into the streets, uh, we're called to put on the breastplate of righteousness each and every day We're called to put that on before Satan shoots his sinful habits at our heart. So let's do this this morning. Hopefully you got a bulletin and you'll take notes on the back as we go. Let's look at four simple thoughts this morning about the importance of the use of the breastplate of righteousness. Point number one this morning, notice the heart's purpose. 
the heart's purpose. Much of the rest of the sermon will be topical. We will come back to Ephesians 6 a little bit later on in the message, but uh, put a marker there in Ephesians 6, and we're going to be in other places. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 23. This is a verse that is uh, commonly used. Many of you here have it memorized, but do uh, indulge me anyway and go ahead and turn over there if you would. Proverbs 4 and verse number 23. And I want us to listen. It's good, especially when we have verses that are memorized. It's, it's good for us to look at them carefully. How many here have ever been in church and you're singing a hymn that you have memorized and you get to the end of the song and realize, I didn't even think about what I just sung? Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me, right? Um, and we can do that with verses in the Bible. We, uh, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, who shall believe in Him, shall not perish forever, everlasting life. There is so much doctrine there, and you just spouted out of your mouth and didn't think about one word of what was said. And so sometimes when we come to a verse that's memorized, it's good to let our eyes rest on the verse and pay attention to the words of the verse and not just let it be a mental exercise, but something that speaks to our heart. Look at verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Let's look at it again. Keep, guard, protect, put a fence around thy heart. Do this with all diligence. That means with all your efforts. Why should we protect our heart? Why should we strap on the breastplate of righteousness? Here's the reason why. For out of it are the issues of life. We know that God has created uh, this heart or conscious inside of man so that man could have a moral compass about him to, to, uh, to live his life. One person put it this way. He said, the heart is used in Scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It is the part of our being where we desire, deliberate, and decide. It has been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity, the comprehensive term for a person as a whole, his feelings, desires, passions, thought, understanding, and will, and the center of a person, the place to which God turns. God has given us this heart so that we can be led by it. Another way of saying this is that everyone is born with a conscience or the moral laws of God are written on our hearts. God has put this here so that man would, uh, would see his own depravity and then turn to God for salvation. How many of you remember the very first time you told a lie and thought you got away with it as a child? You laid in bed that night and felt great guilt over the lie that you told. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Maybe you stole something and you thought you got away with it, or maybe you did get away with it as far as man was concerned, but you laid in bed that night and felt great guilt. You know what that is? That's the moral law of God written on your heart. That's the conscience that God has put in every man to draw him back to himself. Why did God write the moral laws on our heart? Not so that we could brag about how much better we are than someone else. No, God put the moral laws on our heart to show us how deep and, and great the depravity in our heart is to show us the chasm between us and God, how holy He is and perfect He is, and how, how uh, utterly and wholly uh, terrible and sinful that we are. God put these laws 
on our heart to show us what is the purpose of our heart. The purpose of our heart is to be this center of moral activity. Unfortunately, if you're not saved, you can sear your conscience and sins will no longer bother you after a while. And you can sear your conscience and you can live a life uh, however you want because your heart is distorted, your heart it, desires are perverted, and you, uh, you, have, uh, you have gone on to live a life that displeases God and a conscience that no longer bothers you. But what is the purpose of the heart? It is to show us where we do wrong and to show us our need of God. Number one, the heart's purpose. Number two, notice the heart's problem. The heart's problem. Um, turn over, if you would, to Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 51. Now, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation. If you get to Isaiah, Jeremiah, it's the very next book. It's a short book, just a handful of chapters. Turn over to Lamentation 3 and verse 51. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to read a verse that's very familiar to us. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, look at this a few months ago, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. The heart is deceitful, it's desperately wicked. Can I tell a joke I've told before? Is that okay? Or I'm going to tell a joke I've told before. This uh, church, pa- pastor took his church to a, 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 a marriage retreat. And uh, at the marriage retreat, they had this guest speaker who is, you know, polished and written many books on marriage and did a great job. And, and he got up and, and he was talking about how that the different parts of the body tie into the family. He said the husband is to be the head of the home. He's the brains of the operation. The children are the hands and feet of the home. And they, uh, they, they are extensions of mom and dad. And the, the wife, she's the spirit of the home. She's the heart of the home. She uh, keeps the spiritual climate just as it ought to be. Well, the retreat ended. They got in their vehicles. They went home. The next Sunday morning, the pastor of the church got up and he said, well, the pastor or the speaker of the conference uh, laid out how the husband is the head of the home and the children's feet and the, uh, uh, the, the, the hands of the home. And he said, I couldn't agree with that last one more. The wife is the heart of the home because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. The heart. The heart. The reality is the heart. We talked about this a few months ago. I won't dwell long here. But Disney's mantra is follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Let me just say this morning, if you're going to follow your heart, you're going to land in a very dark place. The book of Judges says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that country was nothing but anarchy, anarchy, anarchy. If you want personal anarchy in your life, follow your heart. Follow your heart. We're living in a world today that tells us, follow your heart. We're living in a world today that says, you decide what's right and wrong. You write your own moral code. You write your own moral law. And look where that has gotten us as a culture. How does the heart work? How does the heart function? Well, I believe there are two sources that feed the heart. Two sources that feed the heart. Boy, if this is all you get out of the message, the next 10, 15 minutes of the message, if this is all you get, boy, this can change your life. I mean that. Change your life. Some of you don't understand why you struggle with sin. I'm about to help you understand why you have sin habits you can't overcome. The two sources that feed your heart. Look at Lamentations 3 and look at verse 51. We're just going to look at the beginning of the verse here. 
it says, Mine eye affecteth my heart. The first source that feeds your heart is your eyeballs. What you put in through your eyes affects who you are in your heart. If you're looking at uh, the right things, then you're going to be a, a righteous person. If you're looking at the wrong things, you may want to be righteous deep down inside, but you're going to continue to struggle with sin. You think, well, I can watch that music video and it won't affect me. Oh, absolutely it will. Uh, I can go to the bar and I can see all the liquor. I'm just going to have a Diet Coke, but I'll see all the liquor there. That won't bother me. Oh, yes, it will. Oh, yes, it will. Uh, I can look at uh, these TV shows and watch these movies with these sinful uh, acts being committed and performed in them. By the way, the amount of violence in TV shows today is at an all-time high. And Hollywood has gotten so good at making murder look so real with the blood splatter and all that goes on there. You fill your eyes with violence. You're entertained by that violence. I remember when I was a boy, I'd say to my dad, can we watch this PG-13 movie? I, I, I checked. There's no cursing in it. All there is is violence. Can we watch it? I remember one day my dad sat me down and said that the, it, it's wicked to be entertained by violence. Well, that, that's made clear in the book of Genesis when uh, right before God destroyed the earth with a flood, they were entertained by violence. Proverbs tells us that we're not to be entertained by violence. We think, I can put these things in my eyes. They won't have an effect on me, but absolutely they will. We fill our eyes with the Word of God. We fill our eyes with the things of God. Boy, that affects our heart. How about uh, the second source? Let me read for you Acts chapter 4 and verse number 20. The Bible says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Heard. What you see and what you hear. Now, the context of Acts 4 is that the disciples are being brought before uh, the uh, Jewish council and they're being told to quit preaching Jesus. And the disciples look back at uh, the council and say, we've just spent three and a half years walking around with Jesus, looking at what He did and listening to what He said. We cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What were they saying? What we've seen and what we've heard have profoundly changed who we are right down here in our heart. If you think that what you listen to doesn't affect you, then I would encourage you to, to consider what goes on at a country music concert. What, do the, what does the average uh, country music concert attendee wear? All right? Cowboy boots, blue jeans, a cowboy hat. You all know the look. How about if I were to take us in, uh, in our mind's eye and travel to a rap concert? What do people wear to rap concert? Do they wear baggy clothes, lots of bling, right? Why are they wearing baggy clothes and lots of bling? Because what they've seen and what they've heard has affected who they are in their heart. You say, what I listen to doesn't matter. Absolutely it matters. Those jokes that are told at the, the, the lunch table that don't please the Lord, they're going down in your heart. By the way, you fill your eyes and ears with the Word of God, and uh, boy, that begins to affect your heart for the better. There are two sources that feed our heart, but then there are three sources or three uh, avenues, rather, uh, where we manifest what's in our heart. So I want you to picture here we have... The, the human, or rather your spiritual heart, and you have two sources that feed in, the eyes and the ears, they feed into the heart, and then you have three that come out over here, and those three, what they are, what they are is the manifestation of what's in your heart. How can you tell what's down in your heart? Turn over in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, 
and verse number 5. Genesis 6 and verse number 5. We're doing a little Bible study here, but I want you to really grasp this morning how your heart functions. How do I know what is in my heart? What you put in your eyes and what you put in your ears affects your heart. And uh, we're going to talk about that more in a little bit, about putting the right things in our eyes and ears. But out of our heart, boy, how do you know? Well, the very first way we know is by our thoughts. Look at Genesis 6, verse 5. The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that, look here, every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Where's the very first place our heart manifests itself? In the privacy of our thoughts. Our thoughts. I worked a job at Burger King when I was 17 years old. Up to that point, I had been raised in a very sheltered environment. The jobs I had worked up to that point were working for Christians. I'd gone to church. I'd gone to a Christian school. I'd heard some things in the Christian school that maybe didn't please the Lord. But for the most part, uh, I was very innocent. Uh, I learned a lot about words that were inappropriate at Burger King and uh, being thrown into a secular work environment. Uh, Every word imaginable was thrown around on a regular basis. And I really wanted to maintain a mouth that was clean. Remember one day I was standing there uh, at the sink. I was washing the broiler that cooks the Whoppers. And uh, I was scrubbing off all of the grease off of this. Lots of grease, amen. I was scrubbing that off and I began to uh, think uh, uh, thoughts. And in those thoughts, curse words began to pop up in my thoughts. Now, I had not uttered them with my mouth. They were coming into my mind. And my heart was struck by the Spirit of God saying, What you are thinking is sinful. You see, before you ever utter something with your mouth, it had to first be thought in your mind. And here's the reality. A sin is anything that I say and do, but it's also anything that I think. I think. You know, your spouse doesn't know all your thoughts. Your boss doesn't know all your thoughts. The pastor doesn't know all your thoughts. But he knows. He knows. Doesn't he? How's your thought life this morning? See, there are two ways that our thought life manifests itself. There's verbal thoughts, right? We're sitting there, we're thinking, having a conversation in our own mind, like I did at Burger King that day. By the way, I worked in other workforces with lots of cursing, and that was a battle that I had to fight. How many know the battle I'm talking about this morning? You know what I'm talking about. You're around people that curse a lot. Your work environment puts you around that. And those words slip into your mind occasionally. You know what I'm talking about this morning. But there's another way that our thoughts manifest themselves, and that's visually. Verbally and visually. That's the theater of your mind. Laying in bed and you're daydreaming. What what do you visualize? Here in Genesis 6, verse 5, the Bible says, Right before God destroyed the earth with the flood, they only thought thoughts that were evil. Every imagination of the thought of their heart was evil continually. I did a Bible study one time on the term imagination. And what I found is that almost every time you find the word imagination in the Bible, what you find connected to it is evil. I think there's only one occasion where that's not the case. We have to be careful about our thought life. If you're thinking about, the, if, you're, if you're putting in your eyes and ears the Word of God, then what are you going to do? You're going to meditate in your mind on the Word of God. How about our mouth? Our mouth. 
three avenues in which uh, our our heart uh, betrays, or rather, uh, uh, manifests itself. Our mind, our mouth. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty five, He said, "O generation of vipers, speaking to the Pharisees, how can ye, being evil, speak good things?" Listen to this verse: For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Well, he's pretty much a good guy. He's just got a foul mouth. Oh no. Evil communication corrupts good manners, the Bible tells us. I do believe that it's possible to misspeak, have a Freudian slip, say something that you didn't mean, say something that wasn't really in your heart. I believe that's possible. But listen, long term, if you're saying things that are wrong, you're speaking things that are wrong, boy, you are allowing your eyes and ears to be influenced for evil that's affecting your heart, and that's being manifested in how you think, and then very next, how you speak. But moving on this morning, not only our mind and our mouth, but also our actions. Speaking of in a positive way, the, uh, the Pharisees, the Jews, the, the Jewish council, where they were so put out with Peter and the apostles for preaching the gospel, they said to them in uh, Acts 5.28, saying, did we not certainly command you that ye should not teach in this name, speaking of Jesus, and behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Acts 20, 20 tells us that they went door to door, door to door. You know what? It wasn't enough for them to think it. It wasn't enough for them to say it. They had to go and tell every single person they could that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Son of God and the Savior of the world. When you're putting the right things in your eyes and your ears, boy, it goes down deep into your heart. There is a transformation. Uh, Romans 12 tells us, be transformed in your mind. And what happens is God transforms your heart and you begin to think about the things of God and you begin to speak about the things of God and then you begin to live out the things of God. Many of us here this morning, we don't live out the things of God because we're putting the wrong things in our eye gates and our ear gates. What is the heart's problem? The heart's problem is garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. Let me just ask a question this morning. This is a pointed question, especially to a Sunday morning crowd. Do you read your Bible more than you watch TV? Is your face in his book more than it's in Facebook? Are you scrolling through the Word of God as much as you're scrolling through your Instagram feed? Do you spend as much time in prayer as you do texting your friends? You see, if we're putting the wrong things in our... And listen, when I say wrong, I don't always mean sinful. If you're supposed to be in the Bible and you're watching sports, well, now sports is being placed above God, and what have you done? You put sports on a pedestal and turn it into an idol. There's nothing... I love sports. I'm a big sports guy. But God has to be first in our mind and our hearts. I'm so thankful that the Word of God is so readily available. I own seven, eight, nine, ten copies of the Word of God that are physical copies. I have six or seven apps on my phone that are the Word of God, and I use all of them on a regular basis. Some of those apps on my phone play the Bible uh, uh, where it's read out loud, and I can get in the shower, leave my phone on the sink, and listen to the Bible in the morning as I'm getting a shower and getting ready for the day. I can plug that into my car stereo, and I can have the Word of God played that way. Uh, uh, there's all sorts of archives of sermons on the Internet where I 
can hear the Bible preached and proclaimed. I, I can dive into books and read and better myself and uh, uh, devotionals and better know the Word of God. And I can take a note card and I can write out a Bible verse that I want to memorize. And I can meditate on the Word of God. And you know what? I can't help but speak the things which I have seen and heard. I love when I get into a conversation with a man from the church and uh, it's not five minutes before we're talking about the Bible. You know why? Because that man is consumed with God and His Word. I've had other situations where I've tried to get into a conversation about the Bible and they just don't have much to say. Can I tell you why you don't have much to say when we talk about the Bible? Because you're not reading it. You're not meditating on it. It's not in your heart. Because if it was in your heart, you wouldn't be able to help but to speak it. What's our heart's problem? Our heart's problem is that we are bombarded each and every day by a culture that's filled with sin, a culture that's anti-God, that's trying to cram in our eyes and our ears, our eye gates and our ear gates, that which is anti-God and anti-truth, the heart's purpose. Number two, the heart's problem. Number three, the heart's passion. The heart's passion. Turn over, if you would, to Psalm chapter 42 in your Bible. Psalm 42. Do you know what you are passionate about. Do you know what you are passionate about? The things that you must put in your eye gates and your ear gates, that you most put, rather, in your eye gates and your ear gates are the things that you're passionate about. You can't help but watch the next episode of that show because you're passionate about that show. You can't help but get back on social media because you're passionate about social media. You can't help but call that friend because you're passionate about that friend. You can't help but go to that place because you're passionate about that place. Uh, What are you passionate about this morning? David was passionate about God. Look at Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. David says, "...as the heart panteth after the water brooks." So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? David said, look, just as a deer that's frolicking through the fields and, and, and is, is, is thirsty and has lacked that water and hasn't found that brook, boy, that deer comes upon that water and is just so parched, it has to dip its snout, its little nose down and lick up that water. He said, that's how my heart feels toward God. I have to have you, God. I have to know you. I have to have my time with you. David says, yes, I spend time in the presence of God. But the universe too, he says, I can't wait for the day where I get to step into eternity and stand directly before my God and behold Him face to face. I love Psalm 34, verse 8, that says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. O taste and see. This morning, Brother Jason made omelets for everyone that got here early. Amen? Omelets for the early. Some folks came in late and didn't get an omelet. And uh, boy, I hope you feel bad about that. Be early next week. You say, will there be omelets? No, but be early anyway. Amen? Um, I got to uh, go through the line and I put my sausage and, and my ham and my bacon in the bowl. And, amen? And, I, and then I thought, um, if my wife was here, she'd tell me to put vegetables in the bowl. And so I put two pieces of onion and two pieces of lettuce in the bowl. I had to get my health in there. Amen? And um, I had an omelet. I tasted and saw that Brother Jason's cooking was good this morning. But listen, when you open up the Word of God, that's when we're feasting on the Word of God through our eye gates and our ear gates. I I love to read the Bible in silence, but oftentimes when uh, I'm caught reading my Bible, I'm reading it out loud because I don't just want to see it with my eyes. I want to hear it in my ears. I want to hear the Word of God 
in my ears. Many are passionate about sinful things. Many are passionate about things that are neither sinful or righteous. I want God and His Word and holy living to be the things of which I am the most passionate about. If you're placing the Bible and God's Word in your eyes and your ears, you will become passionate about God's Word. You'll begin to think on God's Word. You'll begin to speak about God's Word. And then you'll begin to live out God's Word. If you're placing Christian music and Christian videos in your eyes and your ears, you'll become passionate about the goodness of God. You'll begin to talk, uh, think about the goodness of God. And then you'll begin to speak about God's goodness. And then you'll be able to live out the goodness of God. Christian spouses, if you're placing godly truths about fulfilling your role to your spouse into your eyes and ears, then you will become passionate about being a godly husband or wife. You will begin to think about how to be a godly spouse. Then you will begin to speak about how to be a godly spouse. And then you will begin to live out being a godly spouse that meets his or her needs. If you're placing the truths about the lost souls of men and women into your eyes and ears, then you will become passionate about reaching them with the gospel deep down in your heart. Then you'll begin to think about lost souls and you'll begin to speak about lost souls and then you'll begin to live the life that reaches lost souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you getting the idea this morning? How do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? How do we strap it on Tight. We must choose carefully what we look at. We must choose carefully what we listen to. It would be a good idea for some of you this afternoon when you leave church to get in your car and look at the preset stations you have on that radio of yours and delete some of them. Because you're listening to music that's, uh, that's just chucked full of self, sex, and sin. Music that glorifies self, sex, and sin is music that's putting the wrong thoughts and concepts into our hearts. Some of you in here have some books you need to go home and throw away. Some of you here have some websites you need to unpin from the tab on your browser bar. and You need to quit looking at those sources. Some of you have some TV shows that you need to delete off your DVR and just decide you're not going to watch anymore. Some of you have uh, some Bible reading plans you need to pick up. and Some of you have some devotionals you need to get back to. And some of you have some Christian music that you need to knock the dust off and start listening to. And some of you in here have some old verse cards where you used to memorize the Word of God that you need to go find or make anew. And you need to begin to put the Word of God in your eye gates and your ear gates and you need to learn to meditate on it then you need to learn to speak of it and then you need to learn to live it out how do we strap on the breastplate of righteousness this morning we get passionate about the things of god number four notice the healing process the healing process let's let's take a a, a look at the word of god this morning turn over to psalm chapter 7 and verse 9 and and let's contrast a pure heart and a wicked heart a pure heart and a wicked heart. Can a Christian have a wicked heart? Can someone who's saved have a wicked heart? Absolutely. Boy, I've been there where I was just filled with with sin and and the indulgences of the flesh, and the flesh was winning the battles, and and I was doing wrong. And and listen, uh, we need to be like David in Psalm fifty-one that says, "Create in me a clean heart, O Father. Renew a right spirit within me." Look at Psalm seven, verse nine. The psalmist said, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. The righteous God trieth the heart and reigns. What I would like each of us to do this morning is to be honest with ourselves before God and say to God, Would you try my heart? 
Would you take the reins of my heart and would you take the lead? I want you to be in charge. Lord, if there's a wicked way within me, expose it. Help me to see it. You know what I found in my Christian life? I have found that the closer I get to God, things that I didn't think were sin, God began to reveal and say, yep, that's got to go too. And um, the closer, and then I get rid of that, and all of a sudden, there's another habit in my life. And God says, yep, I need that one to go too. Really, God? That's a sin? Yeah, that's a sin too. That one's got to go. And you know, God's working in my life. He's revealing things. And then He says, hey, listen, you've got that cleaned up. Now I want you to start doing this. I want you to start living out this truth. I want you to reach out to this person and be a blessing to them. Why? Because God's trying the reins of my heart. Look at Psalm 37, or 32, verse 11, rather. Psalm 32, verse 11. We're going to work left to right in your Bibles um, uh, on this thought of a righteous heart. Then we'll go back and we'll work left to right again on the thought of um, an evil heart. Psalm 32, 11. And there's a lot more verses I, I could have shared, but to, to, for brevity's sake, look at Psalm 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. All of ye that your heart is in good standing with God. Look at Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 28. Turn over quickly to Proverbs 15 verse 28. A heart that's right with God. A heart that has right standing with God. You enter into the presence of God and you know that everything between you and God is on the up and up. That He is happy with you and you are happy with Him. No, you're not perfect, but you're quick to confess those sins and you're quick to keep good standing with God. Proverbs 15:28. the Bible says, "...the heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things." The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Your heart is constantly searching for truth, to know truth, to know righteousness and live it out. So we've seen here what a righteous heart looks like. Let's take a few moments and uh, see a few verses about uh, uh, the condition of the heart of the wicked. Go back to Psalm 10. Let's look at two verses out of Psalm 10. Psalm 10 and verse number 3. Psalm 10 and verse 3. The Bible says, therefore, the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. You know you've reached a a low when you don't even try to hide your sin anymore. You're bragging about it. You're talking about it. You're boasting of it. Boy, I tell you, you had, uh, you drank a 12-pack yesterday, well, I had 18. I'm not sharing a testimony, amen? I know Angel's out of town, but I'm behaving myself, amen? Someone who goes around bragging about how many men or women they've been with. Someone who goes around and talks about uh, how filthy their mouth is in, in a joking way. He wants to share with you another dirty joke. Their mouth is, their lifestyle is boasting uh, of their heart's desire. Look down at verse 13 of the same psalm. Psalm 10, 13. Wherefore... Doth the wicked contemn God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou wilt not require it. God, you're not going to hold me accountable. I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want. And there will be no accountability for it. I don't know about you. I don't want a wicked heart. I want a heart that pleases God. When God pulls back 
uh, the layers of, of my being. And he looks down at my heart. I want him to say, while yet not perfect, while yet not exactly who I want him to be, while yet not without sin totally, that is a man who loves me. That is a man whose heart is after mine. This morning, let's talk about how we can go from a heart that's carnal to having a heart that is protected with the breastplate of righteousness. Quickly here, notice letter A, purification. Purification. Turn to Psalm 119 in your Bible. Psalm 119, and look with me at verse number 9. I memorized these verses as a young child and have used them often when I have lapsed into sin or had a struggle in my life. I've gone back to these verse and poured, verses and poured over them and, and um, remembered them and used them to help me. Psalm 119, look at verse 9. We'll read down through verse number 11. The Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How do you cleanse your way? How do you have a heart that goes from being carnal to righteous? How do you have a heart that is not protected with the breastplate of righteousness and you put it on? Look here. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. I love verse 10. I want you to ask yourself if this verse describes you. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Look up here at me for a minute. Have you given God access to every corner of your heart. I heard a story of a preacher who went to visit a family who hadn't been in church in months. He knocked on the door and the family looked out the window and saw it was the preacher and the preacher could see through a crack of the window that the living room was a disaster. I mean, just a disaster. And that family, man, they got busy tornadoing through the living room. And I mean, they picked up just heaps of clothes, and they started throwing them in the next room, and trash and throwing it in the next room. And they got that living room looking perfect. And after about three minutes, they opened the door and said, Oh, hi, Pastor. We didn't realize you were out here. Come on in. And he came in, and he sat down and, and said, Boy, this is the first time I've ever been in your home. You have a beautiful home. Could you give me a tour of the rest of the house? Oh, no, Pastor. I'm sure you've had a busy day. You just sit right here and we'll bring you a nice cold drink. Would you like water or sweet tea? We'll take good care of you. Well, I really want to see that next room over. I want to see what that... I'm just curious, the architect... What does that room... No, no, sir, Pastor, you sit right there. And the wife got up, went in the kitchen, got a drink, and when she gave it to him, she took the chair and put it right in front of the door and sat down in the chair as if to say, you ain't coming through this door, big guy. And many of us are content to let God have the living room of our heart. What about that room next door? We're content to let God have our Sunday mornings. We'll be in church on Sunday morning. But what about our TV habits? What about our music habits? What about our friendships? What about our language? Are we willing to let God have all of our heart? He said in verse 10, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Look at verse 11. He said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How many of you here would be quick to admit that memorizing is not your strongest uh, ability? 
quick to admit, and memorizing is not your strongest ability. I think there's a lot of reasons why so many people today struggle to memorize, but one of the reasons is we're out of practice. We're out of practice. We don't work at it. Um, I got to tell you, memorizing isn't the easiest thing for me to do either, but you spend just a little, spend an hour reading over some tactics on the internet or in a book about how to memorize. You can get some tactics down, and then you can start to perfect it. Listen, we need to hide God's word in our heart. We need to purify our hearts. You may be here this morning and thinking, Pastor Lejeune, make the sermon practical for me. And I would say this. It's as simple as eliminating the garbage you're putting in your eyes and your ears and filling it with the Word of God and the things of God. Boy, you begin to purify. If I had a, 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 a glass here that was halfway filled with Coca-Cola and I had a two-liter bottle of water and I started pouring that two-liter of water into that glass of Coca-Cola, what would happen is over time the Coca-Cola would run out and slowly but surely the tint of that water would go from being dark to light. But can I just tell you, I've done this experiment uh, myself. It takes more than two liters of water to get rid of that tint of darkness. It takes four or six liters of water to take that Coca-Cola and have it completely removed from that water mixture. You have to dump far more of God's Word into your eyes and ears than there is sin that's in there before you really begin to start seeing that purification take place. Letter B, notice the word protection. Protection. We're talking about the healing process. Going from a heart that's carnal to a heart that is righteous and godly. Going from a heart that's wretched to righteous. Ephesians 6, if you put a marker there, turn back over to verse 14 with me. Ephesians 6, 14, where we began the message this morning. The Bible says, uh, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate of righteousness? It is the Word of God. It is a walk with God. It's every morning we get up and we put the Word of God into our life. We protect ourselves with it. I think of the Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Matthew 4, Luke 4. Those two chapters share with us the temptation of Christ. He had been baptized and his earthly ministry officially began. And, and then he goes off into the desert. And in the desert, Satan comes and tempts him three times in three separate ways. He tempts him with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and then the pride of life. And all three times, Jesus refutes Satan by doing what? Quoting a verse. Quoting a verse. He uses the Bible to stay off Satan. And you know what? Satan leaves him alone because the Word of God is far more powerful than the devil. Put on the Word of God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Letter C, we see perfection. Perfection. You say, Pastor, I'll never be perfect. Let's talk about that word perfection here. James 1, 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. First Kings fifteen fourteen. the Bible says, But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. Second Kings chapter 20, verse 3, the Bible says, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth, and with a perfect heart, Hezekiah speaking here, and have, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. First Chronicles 28.9, the Bible says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know that the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect 
toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. God's looking for a man and a woman who have a heart that is perfect before him. What does that mean, a heart that's perfect? Does that mean a heart that never sins? Is this a teaching that we can somehow reach a state of sinless perfection? I heard about a man who said, has sat down and said, uh, with another man and said, I have reached a state of sinless perfection. I have not committed a single sin in six months. All of a sudden, the other guy balled up his fist and punched him in the mouth as hard as he could. And that man began to yell and scream and wail and moan, got all upset. He said, well, now your streak is over. Amen. You've sinned. And uh, listen, uh, the idea that we can live a life of perf- uh, 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 sinless perfection is craziness. The reality is if we understand God's standard of right and wrong, all of us in here most likely commit sin every day. All, every one of us. You say, oh, not me. Well, you probably are committing the sin of being self-righteous. We'll never reach a state of being sinlessly perfect. But we can reach a state of maturity in the Lord. We can reach a state where our hearts are mature before the Lord. When God looks down at you, He's not looking for you to be perfect, but He wants to see that you are where He wants you to be in the process of growth. Some of you in here have been saved six months to a year and a half, but yet you still are a babe in Christ. You're not grown much. You still talk like you did before you got saved and hold on to the same habits you had before you were saved. And When are you going to grow some spiritual teeth and mature a little bit? When are you going to be perfect? Meaning, where are you going to, when are you going to develop and be where God wants you to be at this stage of your Christian life? I want to finish with this. Please don't miss what I'm about to say. I know Christians that have been saved 20, 30, and 40 years but yet they're still wearing spiritual diapers and drinking spiritual milk. Well, they've just not grown much. You've been saved 20, 30, 40 years. You've still never read your Bible through cover to cover. What are you waiting on? You still haven't memorized more than a handful of verses. What are you waiting for? You've still yet to get involved in church ministry and minister and serve. You're soaking in the Word of God, but it's in one ear and out the other. At some point, God's Word has to begin to radically transform who we are. And God looks down and says, His heart, her heart, is perfect before me. Oh, they're not sinless, but they're where I want them to be at this stage of their Christian life. Are you where God wants you to be? Or have you, like a ship, sailed from harbor little by little and just floated away from harbor? Boy, it's time to get back to where God has us to be. How's your heart this morning? Are you protecting it with a breastplate of righteousness? Or have you completely forgotten day in and day out to walk with God? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm so thankful that each one of you that make White Oak Baptist Church your church, boy, I don't ever want you to feel guilty about coming to church. Some of you, that's where you're at in your Christian life. All you do is show up Sunday morning and you've yet to grow past that. If that's where you're at, I want to say first and foremost, thank you for being here every week. But I don't want you to come here and never feel challenged. Boy, we want to be a people who are growing. Pressing on the upward way. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, the reality is I've not really been putting on the breastplate of righteousness like I ought to lately. 
Pastor, pray for me that God will help me to put the right things in my eyes and ears and have a heart that pleases God. If that's you, as you slip up your hand, well, there's some changes that need to be made. There's some habits that need to go. Pastor, pray God will give me the strength to do it. Your flesh is going to fight you on it, I promise you. You become passionate about God. You pour in that Word of God. Those changes will start to happen. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there's some struggles in my life, some hardships in my life. I feel that the rain of life, the, the troubles of life are just pouring down on me. I'm going through a difficult time. Pastor, would you pray for me that God would carry me through this? If that's you, would you hold up your hand right where you are? I'm battling some hardships. I just need a pastor's prayer. I see your hands. I'll pray for you this week. I promise you that. Lord, help us this morning as we take a few moments to be brought to a place of decision or to make an altar in our mind, in our heart. Maybe even use the altar here at the church. Give up some things. Add some things. Change some things. Lord, help us to strap on the breastplate of righteousness. Thank you that your word is so practical and applicable to our everyday living. In Jesus' name we pray.